Hey guys, welcome to the Dark Light Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm Jen. And today's episode is what you all have been working for, <laughs> waiting for. Part four, the final part in the Richard Marky Vontes episodes. I was going to say sequels. <laughs> sequels, whatever. In our stories, it is the last part. The last part. I promise. I promise. I'm not researching more. I promise. She done. I am fucking finished. (laughs) It was a long one. It was a long one. But I think like, I think we could have made it into like hour long episodes. Coulda. Shoulda. But we didn't. Because I did not have research done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, part three was on the Lisk sisters' murders. And they had a suspect for it. But he passed a polygraph test, so they let him go. And so, part four is going to be on Kara, the only survivor... And his capture? I don't want to ruin anything for you guys, but the end of the story. We'll, we'll bring it all forwards. We'll bring it all around like a circle. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> all right. So Kara and Heather were teenagers that were having a sleepover. Cindy, Heather's mom, had left early for work that morning. Heather had to do one chore before Kara and Heather were allowed to go to the beach as they had planned. The chore was that she had to water the plants outside. Heather had planned to shower, then water them. But to speed up time, Kara had offered to do the deed herself while Heather went to clean up. Kara went outside, watering Cindy's garden, when a green Pontiac Firebird drove by the house, turned around, and parked in the driveway. Kara assumed it was one of Cindy's friends at first. Mark got out of the car and started asking Kara if there was anybody home that she could give these pamphlets to. Kara told him that it was her friend's house and that her parents were gone. He handed the pamphlet to Kara so she could look through it when he placed a gun to her midsection and ordered her into the back seat of the car. Kara had asked where she was supposed to go because the Rubbermaid container was in the way. He ordered her to get into it. She obliged. He closed the lid and sped off. Mark took her to his house where he restrained her to his bed and started raping her. After after the initial rape was done, he would force her to watch porn with her while he proceeded to assault her again as they watched. He ordered her to call him daddy and use her manners. The day went on. Mark had to clean, and trying to gain his trust, Kara would ask to help. At first, he would deny her, but then eventually he would let her sweep his house. When it was time to go to sleep, Kara was drugged with a sleeping medication, restrained to the bed by her hands and feet. Kara fell asleep, but she woke up in the middle of the night. Mark was snoring beside her, fast asleep. Kara knew this was now or never. She was going to fight for her life. She was determined to survive. She would slowly be able to get her hands out of the restraints. When she finally did that, she would have to work on her feet. Finally, she was free. She had to be silent, though, as Mark was still sleeping. She scooted off the bed and arrived at the bedroom door, which had piles of stuff in front of it. She was trying to be quiet and move everything around. 
when something crashed. She knew she couldn't be still anymore. She started chucking things around and made her escape. This woke Mark up. Meanwhile, back at Heather's, Heather got out of the shower and got dressed. She went outside to see if Kara was done watering the garden. When she went out, she didn't find Kara, but she found the hose still running. She searched all over the yard, around the house, with no sights of Kara. She didn't run off, her shoes were still there, as well as her purse, and overnight stuff that she had brought for the sleepover. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. Heather went over to talk to the neighbors to see if they had noticed anything weird happened to Kara. They said they watched her get into a car with a man that looked like her father, and it looked like she got in willingly. Kara's father was out of town. Heather knew that. Heather called her mom, Cindy, to tell her that she thinks Kara was abducted. Cindy raced home and called Kara's mom to inform her what was going on. They called 911. Deborah, Kara's mom, and deputies arrived at the abduction site. The officers were little to no help when they insisted that Kara had just ran off. Heather, Cindy, and Deborah all knew better despite their cries. The officers would not listen. Police went to Kara's boyfriend's house to ask him if he knew where she had gone. This worried him greatly, as he knew that she would not just run off. Deborah had called her ex-husband and Kara's father, Ron, to let him know what was going on. He raced to Georgia, or from Georgia to Columbia, a four-hour drive in less than three hours. When Deborah explained that the officers basically shoved it aside, he called the department and demanded Kara be listed as a missing person and that they could not wait 24 hours. Detectives finally came over and talked to Heather separately as she was the one that was there at the time that Kara had gone missing. They questioned everyone in the neighborhoods. The detectives assured Deborah that she would be placed into the NCIC. Later that night, 16-year-old Candace Bry was getting in Kenya Spry was getting into a car with his uncle, Corey Thompson. Before they could pull out of the Crossroads apartment complex, they noticed a young woman coming up to them with fuzzy handcuffs still attached to her hands. She grabbed the side of the car and asked them to take her to the police department. She agreed. They agreed. Kara asked them to remember the apartment number that she had pointed to because she had no idea where she was. They escorted her inside of the Richland county sheriff's department where she broke down and explained the torture she had just endured when major howell holly senior ran kara's name through the ncic her name was not listed there as they promised it would be he called deborah and asked if she knew where her daughter was when deborah expressed that she had reported her as missing the day before he explained that he had got her and that she was safe now kara and her parents went to the hospital where a rape kit was performed Eight patrol cars raced to the scene of the crime, Mark's apartment, where Kara had just escaped from. They went in to the front to ask who lived there, and when they busted in, no one was home. But what they found in his apartment would shock the department. <laughs> what a little rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> they found news clippings from the Fredericksburg Freelance Star newspaper with the headline reading, Spotsylvania girl is missing. Sisters disappeared yesterday. Beneath the banner was a story complete with the pictures of the Lisk sisters. The investigators on this case called Smith, who was working the Lisk sisters' case, to let them know what they had uncovered. This sounded like a good lead, but Smith didn't want to get his hopes up, as he had done so many times before. Mark had called Kristen, his sister, 
asking for help but not stating why. Kristen wanted to help her brother out, not knowing how serious the circumstances were. She placed him in a hotel under her name. Kristen was watching Tessa's house while she was on vacation with Jane and Maddie. Kristen went to go check the mailbox when she was approached by officers demanding to know who she was. That was when she learned of the troubling truth of what her brother Mark was really up to, and that he was on the run. Kristen called her mom and asked for them to come home early and just relayed what officers had told her. Tess was in shock and believed her son's innocence at this time. Tess explained to Jane and Maddie that they had to leave early due to a situation but did not want to explain to Jane at the time. The next morning, Tess told Jane what was going on. Jane didn't believe what she was hearing either. It couldn't be her dear husband. He wouldn't do anything like this. Mark was calling Jane from payphones as they were sure the phones were trapped. They were. The authorities got a hit in Orangeburg and called the Orangeburg County Sheriff's Department to request assistance. He left the days in that he was stationed at and drove towards Florida, which was what Jane told him not to do. Florida was where his younger sister, Jennifer, lived. They went to the hotel he was stationed at, hoping to catch him there. They had feared that Kristen may have tipped him off, which caused him to flee because they entered an empty hotel room. In the room, they found a blue navy jacket with initials RM on the chest, several cigarette butts, and an empty box labeled Handiworks Tool Sex. They also found an envelope that had... Uh, that had Mark jaunting down directions to a neighborhood in Lexington County where he abducted Kara and noted uh, in a note that also contained details of a young girl. Mark called Jennifer and admitted to her what he had done. Mark also vaguely confessed to committing others. Not just Kara, as he had stated, he had done this in lots of states. Jennifer knew that she had to turn her brother in, even though it would tear her apart. She picked up the phone and called the FBI. The Manatee County Sheriff's Department got a call that he was eating in the local IHOP. Jennifer felt terrible about turning him into the authorities and was hoping she could just talk to him and she would be able to convince him to turn himself in. Jennifer went to meet him at IHOP, but he was not there. He had noticed the police present when he went to go there, so he actually went across the street to a different eatery. Police spotted him through. <laughs> I did this last time, too. Police spotted him, though, and and the police chase was on. Mark called Jane while on the chase. He confessed over the answering machine that he had committed murder and that he had been involved in more crimes than he could ever remember. Stopsticks blew out his tires. He was surrounded. Lieutenant... Sutton ordered Mark to get out of the car with his hands up. He stuck his left hand out the window, but gripped a gun with his right hand and put it to his mouth. Sutton ordered him to get out again. At this time, his left hand swung the door open. Officer Alan Devancy? Devaney. Devaney? I think so, yeah. And his leashed canine named Matt approached the car. The dog tried to drag Mark out of the car. When that did not work, the two were ordered back. Mark pulled the trigger. The chase was over. Officer Gilbert still handcuffed Mark and moved him from the car to the road. Mark was pronounced dead at the scene. Officers knocked on Jennifer's door and informed her that they were victim's advocates and that her brother was dead. Jennifer decided it was best for her to call her mom and tell her herself. 
Jennifer called her mom to tell her the news while Kristen was being told by officers. Then Joe and his wife were informed of their son's death. Joe had no idea what had went on and was definitely surprised when they told him the series of events that played out. Detective Smith had gotten a call around 2 a.m. from Detective Charles Sutton to inform him that Mark was dead. The investigators got search warrants for the Ford Taurus and Mark's apartment. Officers found in the apartment a long bamboo pole and a wooden board mounted with two large eye hooks on a, and with a frayed piece of rope attached to each one. Hidden in the nightstand, they found, revolver, they found a revolver and bullets. Smith examined the contents from the foot locker box where the newspaper had been found. He found several notes of general descriptions on where the Lisks lived. There were also notes from other young girls that Mark was stalking. When they were home, when they were home alone, where they lived, descriptions of the girls. They also had found a match to the mystery pink fibers that were found on Katie. In the Ford Taurus, they collected everything they could to try and trace it back to the sisters and Sophia. The officers interviewed Jane on multiple occasions. She didn't want to believe what they were saying, but the pink fuzzy handcuffs that were found around Kara had also been on her wrist too. She admitted that Mark loved to shave her down there and that they would often engage in bondage, which is 100% okay if both parties involved are consenting, but once one isn't, it needs to stop. The young girls who raped or attempted to rape were not willing participants. Officers went back to his old apartment or old place in Spotsylvania to interview his neighbors. Detective Twyla was the one who had to go tell the Silva and Lisk family about their trek they were on. Ron Lisk told her not to come back until they knew 100% that they had their man. Mark's family had a small funeral for him and had him cremated as they feared that a gravesite would be trashed. Detectives got all the evidence back from being finalized, and they were finally able to tell the Lisk's family who had killed their daughters. It was Mark. They were also to fi- uh, able to finally tell the Silvas who murdered their beloved Sophia. With certainty ev- and evidence proving it, it was Mark. The Lisk and Sil- Silva families believe Mark got away got the easy way out and that he should have rotted in jail for killing their children. Even though they finally had the name of the man who took their children, there is no closure. Since there was a $150,000 reward in the Lisk-Silva case, Major Smith presented Kara with that money. Kara, along with her best friend and family, would come down for the event at the Wyastone Suites Hotel. There she met the Silva and Lisk families. Kara announced that she wanted to be a doctor in the ER because of what she had been through. Ron and Patty Lisk went on to adopt two children from Romania. They did not replace Kristen and Katie, but gave Ron and Patty an outlet to show all the love they have onto others. Cindy and Deborah talk lots about Kara's abduction and the stress of the aftermath. Cindy believed that Mark was really after Heather due to the fact that he stalked his victims. Kara and Heather had to take a little break from each other to heal, but have still remained friends. Kristen left her husband and child, Maddie, to move to Chapel, South Carolina to live with her new boyfriend. Kristen and her mom don't speak to each other anymore as Tess claims that 
Kristen falls for the wrong men. Tess had Kristen's new boyfriend investigated as he alleged as he alleged he was with the mafia and was the heir to their huge estate. Tess had lots of help de- uh, help to deal with the reality of her life, friends, and therapy. Tess and Jane try and spend as much time as they can with Maddie. The family believes that Joe is to blame partially for Mark's actions, but Jennifer said, quote, I believe that Mark had a chemical imbalance in his brain. Kara has come out about her abduction and her remarkable escape from a serial killer. Kara returned to school eventually and became a police officer. She is also a big social media speaker with a huge following. She is now a mom of two. She turns to a lot of exercise to deal with her trauma. Kara does not want to be remembered as a victim, but as a survivor. She has survived the most or most she has survived most of our worst nightmare, and she deserves all the love in the world. So, that is the end of the story. We do have a few more links that I did get a little bit more stuff, but I do also want to say one more time, Into the Water by Diane Fanning, Fanning is the one that I got most of my, well, nearly like 98% of my information from. But I also just wanted to shout out uh Kara because she is on TikTok. Um her TikTok is at Kara Robinson Chamberlain. So at K A R A R O B I N S O N C H A M B E R L A I N because she is just wow. <laughs> like not a lot of people can survive that. Survive that like, and overcome. Just, yeah, that's what I mean. Like the aftermath of that yeah dealing with that every day she's definitely she's so freaking beautiful she is the most beautiful human i've seen that wasn't even sarcasm like i i actually (laughs) mean it she is absolutely drop dead gorgeous like she is yeah gosh she is so she is so pretty (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening to the dark light podcast Follow us on Instagram at dark.klight.podcast underscore. And on Twitter at darklightpod1. You can email us at darklightpodcast at hotmail.com with any episode requests, story of yours you want to be on an upcoming sequel called Crowd Chronicles. We will see you next Tuesday and to remember, keep your your lights lights on. on! Oh shit, this is me, isn't it? Ah!